up for this team. Don't you guys wish we had a choir every Sunday night? They were amazing, weren't they? Um, We are celebrating Palm Sunday today, the day that Jesus um, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And scripture uh, describes that day this way. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Well, I'm so excited that you guys are here with us tonight for Palm Sunday. Uh, My name is Becky. I'm on our campus team here at Orion, and we want to especially welcome you if you're visiting today. If you are new, um, we would love you to stop by our starting point area out in the lobby. Our team in the orange shirt uh, would love to answer any questions you have um, and even have a free gift for you to take home. All right, so when you came in tonight, you should have received with your program um, a pledge brochure for our Everyone campaign. Um, Last weekend, uh, we had the opportunity as a community uh, to engage in what God is doing through this capital campaign. We have one year left with it. Um, And so many of you turned in a pledge card, and we are still tallying that up, but we're really celebrating everyone that stepped in, and we wanted to give you an opportunity to join us if you missed last weekend. So all you need to do is uh, look at that card, fill it out, and then during the offering, you can uh, drop it in. All right, so we have a lot of stuff coming up that we want to invite you into. Uh, First, in April, we're having our Move Out Conference at our Troy campus. Um, This is going to be a great opportunity to dive into some questions like, what would it look like for the church to move out beyond our walls, beyond this physical location, um, and touch the world in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our schools? And then the other question, and one that's personally been challenging me a lot lately— What does it look like to really love our neighbors um, in a meaningful way? Uh, So we've got a great lineup of speakers. You can see they're really thought leaders uh, that are living this out in lots of different contexts. So uh, registration is live and open, and we'd love you to consider coming. uh, So together we can look at how has God uniquely designed us um, to move out um, and make an impact in the world. Also in April, you guys, we have um, one of my favorite services of the year. It's baptisms. It's happening on April 15th, and we wanted to just give you a little taste of why you might want to consider taking this step. So watch this. In 2000, I had a transformative encounter with Jesus Christ, so much so that I came home from that Easter service, looked at my wife, and I said, the man that left today is not the man that stands in front of you. And it began this journey with Jesus. In fact, it was about a three or four year journey. And friends of mine used to say, hey, you you need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. But I felt like God was saying, no, wait, wait for your wife. And in 2004, my wife came to me and said, hey, you know that baptism thing? I want to do that with you. And we got baptized that summer. It was a beautiful ceremony out in Stony Creek. We were coming home. My wife said to me, you know what? When we were coming out of the water, I felt like God gave me a vision. Now, if you know my wife, Amy, that's not how she speaks at all. And I said, oh, tell me what this vision is. And she said, you know when you're on a roller coaster and you get, you're get you in the seat and all of a sudden you start going up that hill, chink, 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 and you start moving up that hill to go to the crest of the hill. She goes, that's the vision I had. And then I felt like God said to me, buckle up. You're about to go on the ride of your life. And that statement was one of the most true statements we'd ever heard. Over the last 14 years, Amy and I have been on the ride of our life with Christ. 
and Kensington is holding their baptism service on April 14th and 15th. And if you're that person that feels like God is tugging you to him, then we're inviting you to be baptized. There's nothing magical in the water, but as you go down into the water, it washes your old self away. And as you come up, it's symbolic of God making you into a new creation. It's your public declaration of an inward reality. So come be with us. Come get baptized. And I know that you're going to have to buckle up and get ready for the ride of your life. Come join us. Well, I love Danny's story. And so many of you have stories of similar life transformation. Um, I believe a lot of that is due to what's been happening during our 40 days of prayer. I'm right in that room outside that door. We've had someone or a group of people in that room every hour 24 hours a day for almost 40 days. We uh, finish on Saturday at one of our Easter services. So we know God is doing some incredible things here in our community, and we want to encourage you uh, to think about jumping in. We're going to be doing that all together as a family at this service, at our 6 p.m. service, um, all of our baptisms. So make sure you join us um, on April 15th. And then the last thing I want to highlight is what's coming up the rest of this week. We've got Good Friday and Easter coming, and our theme this year uh, is The Greatest Show on Earth. So we wanted to give you a little sneak peek uh, of what you can expect. So watch this. Every magic trick has three acts, and we believe the story of Easter has three acts as well. This Easter season, we are so excited to invite you to a series we are calling The Greatest Show on Earth. Our team has been working to create a three-part journey that begins at Palm Sunday, laying out the story of Jesus' entry to the city of Jerusalem as just an ordinary man on a donkey to his extraordinary act of love on Good Friday. Everything culminates on Easter Sunday as we celebrate Jesus raising from the dead in the most amazing, death-defying act in all of history. A magician knows the secret behind the illusion, but with the story of Jesus, there is no illusion. We believe that this amazing story is all actually real. Join us as we reveal the hidden secrets to this story and see for ourselves the miraculous gift that is offered to each of us through the greatest show on earth. So some of those scenes were filmed right here Thursday night. Uh, We did our final dress rehearsal and all the campuses came to see it. And I just want to tell you guys, this service, uh, what the team has created is unique and it's a beautiful way to celebrate the resurrection. Uh, So we really want to encourage you, who is God bringing in your path this week that you could invite to come along with you? If you're one of the lucky people that's going on spring break, you can stream, you can invite people on the beach to watch with you. Um, But please uh, download your tickets. No tickets for Good Friday. Friday, you need them for uh, Easter. Um, and grab some invites on the way out as you go out today. I had some in my purse this week, and I got to invite uh, the barista at Starbucks. And as I was telling her about the service, she just kind of stopped what she was doing and said, could, could that really be a church that you're telling me about? So um, hopefully she's going to come, um, but hopefully you guys are going to be bringing people back with you um, here on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. All right. So before we jump into the rest of the service and Dave comes up, I have to ask you guys, who is happy that Michigan made it to the final four. Yes? Some? Yes? Okay. So I'm a Buckeye, but you got to root for the Big Ten. Um, but I was a little a little nervous that they won because I got a phone call from my son at midnight last night who's a junior at Michigan. And he's like, hey, how do you feel about me driving to San Antonio? I looked it up. It's only 22 hours. 
So um, I guess he's gone. Um, but why don't you guys stand up, say hi to some people around you. Tell them whether you have anyone still alive in your bracket. closely every magic trick consists of three parts or acts the first part is called the pledge the magician shows you something ordinary a deck of cards a bird or a man he shows you this object perhaps he asks you to inspect it to see that it is indeed real unaltered, normal. But of course, it probably isn't. thought the lights went out because we're going to show you the rest of the trick. You're like, what's going on right now? Well, what's today called? Act one. You saw act one. If you want to see act two, you got to come to Good Friday. If you want to see the whole trick done, it's going to happen on uh, Easter. (laughs) And if you're on vacation, you better watch it from the beach because we are using this this little uh, magic trick, which I'm I'm sure you know this. Every magician will tell you this. There's no magic. It's all illusion, right? And so they create an illusion with, uh, in this case, a box trick with a with a girl in the box, and she will disappear on Good Friday, and she will reappear on on Easter. And you better figure out how it actually happens because it's really pretty fascinating. So sorry to do that to you, (laughs) but come back because the the story of Easter is similar in the same way. Today, Palm Sunday, we're going to look at this ordinary act one. It looks like an ordinary thing, but you know something else is going on. And I'm going to show you by the end of the service, all these hidden clues are inside this box called Palm Sunday that when you see them, you go, oh my goodness, this is unbelievable what's happening. And Good Friday, the, the, the girl disappears, Jesus ends up gone, and then we come back in Easter. And again, that's, that's, that's where we're headed. But here's what's interesting about Palm Sunday. And many of you, like me, probably grew up and going to Palm Sunday services and you got palms. And you may not even know exactly why you got the palms. Well, it's really interesting. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey for the triumphal entry, that's what it's called probably in your Bible, there was a mix of emotions. Originally on that road, the crowd is going crazy. They are singing and shouting and dancing because they know their king is now riding into Jerusalem. But five days later, those same people are saying what? Crucify him, crucify him. So they went from the heights of ecstatic jubilation to the very depths of anger and chaos and confusion. 
They, didn't, they weren't even sure they knew who is this man. We thought he was, but who is he? And so we decided to take you on that same journey that they took about in a week. We're going to do it in the next five minutes so you can sort of feel what they felt on that day. Watch this.
Well, you just went on a week journey in like five minutes from, you know, singing and dancing, a choir, beautiful song that was written by one of our own, uh, Josh and Lindy Collier wrote that Hosanna song and even that last one, Who Is This Man? It was, it was just craziness. And I don't know if you were impressed with the dancers. That was a little thing I threw together for them and they, they did a pretty good job with it, I think. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's just, it's, it, it, it was really the journey that started on Palm Sunday. Now, let me ask you, I already, I mentioned this. Uh, you know, I grew up, I, I've said this many times, my single mom took me to church and every Palm Sunday we had to go to church. And it didn't matter what denomination we were in, because I told you before, we were in every denomination, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopal, Catholic, not kidding. We did every denomination, every different year. In fact, you didn't know this, but we went to Second Baptist, Third Baptist, uh, American Baptist, Southern Baptist. There's 63 denominations, just Baptists. We didn't go to all of them. But at every one of those on Palm Sunday, I got a palm branch. And I want to show of hands. How many of you grew up where you got a palm branch at church? All right, so a lot of hands. This has happened all day. Here's my next question. Now, be honest. How many of you know what the significance of the palm branch is besides waving it at church? How many know what it meant in this story? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's been about 10% of those of us that got them. I never knew. And I'm not saying the preacher didn't say it. Maybe he did, and I missed it. But I never knew. I just knew I had a little palm. Uh, somebody gave me one in the last service this morning. This was theirs, just a tiny one. We would get big ones in one of my churches <laughs> that I went to. And again, I thought it was pretty cool. You know, I'd wave it around and I'd take it home, you know, and I'd put it somewhere. But I never knew what it was about. And let me tell you, many of you didn't raise your hand to say you knew what it is. I guarantee you, this is a promise I'm making you. By the end of this service, you will know exactly what the Palm Branch is all about. You ready? You're going to know, because it's actually pretty fascinating what that represented. So all I want to do, and we're going to do this again on Easter, is I want to take you back to the story of Palm Sunday. And I know many of you have heard it many times, but I want to show you there's four, there's probably, probably 10, but I'm only going to have time to do four little clues 
that if you see these in the middle of the story, you'll go, oh my gosh, that's what's going on here. Because just like the act one of an illusion, they show you something ordinary. That's what the magician does. He shows you a, a, a bird or a card or a, or a box with a woman in it, right? And you know that it's ordinary, proves to you that it's not altered, but you also know what? It's not ordinary. There's something going on that you can't really see. The same thing's true about Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter. So all I want to do is read it to you, and there's several versions of it. As many of you know, in the New Testament, there's Matthew's account, there's Mark's account, there's Luke's account, and John's account, four men that followed Jesus and wrote eyewitness accounts about his life. And I want to read from Luke's this time, because Luke, I love this guy. He's a doctor. He's very detailed, and he gives you a lot of details about the story. And it starts in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. You know what I always call this? I never said this all day. I think it's sort of funny. Here's the way I look at Palm Sunday. This is the road, because they're on a road going to Jerusalem. I call it the road to the final door. Anybody get that? You know what's going on right now? There's a game going on, the road to the final four. Okay, anyway, just checking. Just checking. Any, any March Madness fans out there? Come on, Michigan's in the final four. You've got to be for that, right? All right, so let's go to it. I don't know why I did that. I just got us off. Anyway, verse 28 says, after Jesus had said this, and again, whenever you read the Bible, you go, what did he just say? He just said, basically, I'm going to be crucified and die. Said he went, ahead, he went on ahead and going up to Jerusalem. As he approached, approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. By the way, I'm pretty excited. In about 20 days, guess where I'll be? Right there. I'm going to Israel with Anne. We're, we're leading a marriage retreat in the Holy Land of 40 couples that signed up here from Kensington. We're all going together. I've never been to Israel. All these years, I've never been there. My wife has been there three times already. What's wrong with that picture? You just tell me. So we're going to go, and it's and, and so exciting. So I'm going to get to stand right there by the Mount of Olives. It's going to be pretty cool. He said, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. And again, when you read scripture, you should go, wait, wait, wait. Every detail matters. No one's ever ridden this colt? No one. It's never had a human on it. He said, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. And again, I don't know if you're quite like me when you read scripture, but don't, you got to put yourself in there. Think about this. If you, if somebody, you know, they, I mean, they walk up, everything just like he said it would be. There's a colt. They untie it. As they're doing it, the owner asks them, and they say, The Lord needs it. And that's all he asks. He goes, Okay. Doesn't that sound a little strange? Like if, if somebody came in my driveway and walked into my garage tonight and jumped in my Mustang, I don't have a Mustang, but it's a pony. It's a Colt, right? It's what a Mustang is. I don't have one. Let's pretend I have one. And they got in it and I said, hey, what are you doing? And they said, the Lord needs it. I'd say, uh-uh, get out of that car. I don't know who the Lord is, but that's not his car. That's my car. What are you thinking, right? But all they do is go, okay. So what are we, what's going on here? I don't know for sure, but there's obviously Jesus knows something that nobody else knows. And in a second, you're going to see something that's very, what's the word, unusual and actually fascinating because as they untie this colt and take it to Jesus, we are looking at, in my opinion, the first clue that's hidden, but not hidden in this story to tell you this isn't just ordinary. This is very extraordinary. I would even say supernatural. You know what the first clue is? A donkey. A donkey. Now, 
Think about it. Jesus is going to ride this donkey into Jerusalem. It's called the triumphal entry. Why they why they call it the triumphal entry? Because this is the start of Easter week. This is the start of the week where he ends up being crucified and dead and buried, right? This is the triumphal entry. What is triumphal about it? He is a king, they believe, the Messiah riding into Jerusalem to take over and set up his kingdom. There's just one problem. Have you seen it yet? Kings don't ride into victories on donkeys. They ride into victories on horses. You understand what I'm saying? Have you ever seen a battle start with a hee-haw, hee You know? I mean, there's a commercial on right now, March Madness. I love these Capital One commercials with Samuel Jackson and Charles Barkley and Spike Lee. Have you seen the one with the two horses and the donkey? Charles and Samuel are on the horses, and Spike's being made fun of because he's on this little... I don't even know if it's a donkey, this little thing with little ears on. It's like royalty and power is not connected with a cult. But yet our king is riding to victory on a donkey. That should have been the first thing we go, wait, wait, wait. What is going on here? And you already know what's going on here, don't you? No, you don't, do you? We put the scripture up at the beginning of the day. It was Zechariah 9.9. And if you looked at it close, it was all about Jesus riding a donkey into the city. Now, here's what's amazing. People that had ears to hear, eyes to see, would see this, but most didn't. That's a phrase from Jesus, by the way. If you're really looking for truth, you'll find it. But if you're not, you'll miss it. Most people missed it. He's on a donkey. He's on a colt. Why? Because hundreds of years before this day, it was prophesied by the, by the prophet Zechariah back in a book called the Old Testament, And it was a prophecy that one day the Messiah will come in this way. I'll read it to you. You already saw it today, but let me read it to you. It says in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. It says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, the Jewish people memorized the word of God. Do you know that? Their school for their young boys and girls, they would memorize the Torah, the entire Torah. Anybody know how many books that is in the Bible? First five books of the Bible. Five books. Have you ever looked at Genesis? 50 chapters in one book, Genesis. Then you go to Leviticus, real exciting book. It's all laws and blood and stuff like that, right? Then you, I mean, Exodus, then Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. They would memorize. Here we are. We can't memorize two verses in the Bible. That's oh, too hard. But we can memorize every lyric of a Jay-Z song. But anyway, it's just like unbelievable. They knew this. So when they, when they uh, saw this, they should have been able to recall Zechariah 9.9 because it was sort of a famous passage. Why? It's a prophecy or prediction of the Messiah, the king, coming to Jerusalem one day. They didn't know if it would be in their lifetime or several lifetimes later. Well, it's generations later. Now the people are standing on the road, and here it is. But here's what I think they missed. Yes, he's their king. Yes, he's riding in uh, to victory. But it's a different kind of victory than they, they expect. And the, the donkey should have clued them in. A donkey is about humility. 
You don't ride donkeys for victory. You ride donkeys for humility, and he's on a donkey. And by the way, when you study this passage in Zechariah 9, you realize, oh my gosh, there's no, there's no wars going to happen. It says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. What's that mean? Again, by the way, you can do this anytime you want now. If you read a passage in the Bible, and you're like, I'm not, I don't know what it means. I grew up thinking that's the way the Bible's supposed to be. I go to church, and i like, that didn't make any sense either. And so I go to seminary and I spend literally three to $4,000 on books that help you understand the Bible. They're all now, guess where they are? In my basement and I haven't cracked one of them open in years. Why not? Because all those books are right here and they're free. All you have to do is type in Zechariah 9.9. What does this really mean? And all the scholars that are in all those books are now free for you to read. And here's what you find out. They'll say, he says, there's no chariots coming. Why? Chariots are a vehicle of arm, of, of war. There's no war. He says, the bow is broken. What's that mean? There's no bow or arrows. There's no need to fight. He goes on to say, it's just loaded with stuff. He says, he will proclaim peace. Peace? Yeah, that's humility. And he will rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Who's this talking about? It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about the king who will rule the entire world. But how's he going to do it? Humbly. How does that make sense? Well, let me explain it this way. When I was in seminary, a long time ago, before many of you were born, I was getting my master's of divinity in theology because I knew God had called me to ministry and I thought I better get trained and educated. And so I'm sitting in a class on Old Testament prophecy. In other words, we're studying the prophets like Zechariah and Isaiah. And one day they brought a rabbi in. The teacher brought a rabbi in who is an expert in Old Testament uh, prophecy. And so the rabbi comes in and he talks about leading his synagogue there in Southern California and what they believe as Jewish people. And at the end of the class, we had like 20 minutes left. The teacher said, go ahead, ask him any question you want. First question, I'll never forget it. Guy sitting right beside me, immediately said, why do you not believe Jesus was the Messiah? And I'm like, whoa, dude. You know, he's coming in here being nice. You're gonna go right after it. Because Jews do not believe Jesus was the Messiah, and Christians do, right? So we're sitting there, and he throws that out, and I'll never forget, the guy didn't even blink. The rabbi immediately answered this. He goes, because he did not fulfill the job description. Now, what did he mean by that? We asked him, what do you mean? He said, the prophecy says that the Messiah will come and establish his earthly kingdom. Jesus didn't. Jesus died. He wasn't the Messiah. The Messiah has not yet come. We're still waiting for the Messiah. That's what he said. Now, let me ask you. Many of you are Christ followers. Do you know the answer that we believe? See, he thinks there's another Messiah coming, another man that will be the Messiah. Do you know what we believe? I hope you know this. Here's what we believe. There's not another Messiah coming. The Messiah came. He's coming back. Same man twice. Not two men, same man twice. He came once for a different mission, which we're going to find out today. It's all in this story. He is not coming to set up an earthly kingdom. That's coming later. In fact, that's not as important as the reason he's coming this time. He is coming to die for our sins, and he's coming back. And trust me on this one. When he comes back, he will not be on a donkey. (laughs) Some of you have read the last book in the Bible. It's called the book of Revelation, where God gave a revelation to the disciple John, and he said, that king will be back and his name. And by the way, when he comes back, what's he riding? Anybody know? A stallion, a white horse of power and victory. And he will have his name tattooed on his right thigh. Some of you just said, tattoo? 
Jesus, yep, it's going to say King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There will be nobody in the universe that has any mistake who this is. It's the same man who came on the, on the donkey, is coming back in power. That's what Christians believe, much different than what a Jew would believe. And so it's like, oh my gosh, so this first one, he's riding into the city, and there's a clue just shouting to us, don't miss why he's here. He is not here to set up a earthly kingdom and take over the Roman government. He is here riding on a donkey to what? Give his life away as a ransom for you and me. So that's the first clue. So you go back to this, go back to the story. And then it says this in verse 35, it says, they brought to Jesus their cloaks on the coat. They put them on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. So Jesus is on the donkey He's riding. It's about a 14-mile ride, so he's riding on this road, and the people take their outer garments off, and they lay them down in front of the donkey. And, and Becky read for you earlier, in Matthew's account, he gives us a little more detail. And what does he say they laid on the road? Palm branches. So they laid down clothes. They laid down palm branches. They probably were waving them and dancing around. But then they also, as they saw them coming, they laid them down, they laid them down, they laid them down. Now, you tell me. Many of you told me you don't know the, the reason you got a palm branch. Some of you have been around here the last few years, and I've taught this almost every Palm Sunday. And I'm going to ask you if you remember it, and I'll be honest with you, in three services today, not one person has ever remembered what I said, so I must be really bad. But I said, palm branches, and I'll give you a hint, okay? Palm branches are a blank, blank effect. How did you know that? You were here this morning. You streamed this morning. Seriously, how'd you know that? Six, you were here this morning? Honest. You got to love that. Honest woman. She was here. She was waiting for somebody. I don't know if you'd remember that, but that's what it is. Everybody knows what a red carpet is, right? We see it. In fact, I've been amazed all day. I've been asking people, how many of you watched the Oscars? What was it, two Sundays ago? Anybody watch the Oscars? I think people think it's like sin to raise your hand and say, I watched the Oscars. Because I'm like, really? Nobody watched the Oscars. I'm a movie guy. I love movies. I don't always like the movies they give an Academy Award to, but I watch the Oscars, and I don't want to admit this, but every once in a while I watch the red carpet pre-Oscars. Come on, who watches it? Now, all you guys watch it because you want to see what they're wearing, don't you? It isn't even what they're wearing, it's who they're wearing. It's not, anyway, anyway, I don't know that, my wife told me that, but anyway, so think about it. On the, on the Oscars, there's a red carpet, and they drive up in their limo, and all of us lowlifes, we don't get on the red carpet. We get to stand outside the red carpet and clap and oogle and take pictures of the VIPs on the red carpet. Am I right? And that's true anywhere you go where there's a red carpet. It's true at a, a prom, there's sometimes a, a, a red carpet. It's true at the NFL Honors Banquet, there's a red carpet. And the VIPs are on the red carpet. Everybody else is outside the red carpet because there's little barriers, right? Or how about this? There's a, usually a red carpet, but it's not red rolled out at a wedding. Am I right? And who walks on that? the most important person in the wedding, which is the bride. Don't you ever say anything but the bride. It is not the groom. It is not the father of the bride. It is not the pastor. Make no mistake, it's the bride. And she walks down that carpet. By the way, when you roll out a red carpet, it is saying to whoever's coming, they're VIPs. They're very, very important people. And I've been giving husbands tips all day. You guys want to do what I do? Every time Ann pulls in the garage, I just roll out the carpet. Come on in, honey. I've never done that one time. But anyway, that's what a red carpet is. And that's why you got a palm branch. And that's what they were doing. There's so many other symbolism to it. But the real reason they laid it down is they were saying, this is the king. And there's never been a more important person coming into our city than this man. 
And so we're laying down the red carpet to say, this is royalty. This is the king. Now, again, you already know they missed why he was coming, but they were right on who he was. They just didn't understand. The donkey could have told them by the very fact that he's on a donkey what he was about to do. Well, then you go to the next clue that we just sort of experienced here. In verse 37, it says, When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Now, do you think they're just going, Hey, this is awesome. No, it was loud voices. And then it says, verse 38, It tells us what they were singing. They sang, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, the third clue, we've got the donkey, we've got, what was the second one? The palms. Come on, you're with me, right? The palms. And the third clue is just simply this, singing. What are they singing? And again, a Bible student or a scholar would know the words they're singing loudly are not just words they made up. They literally are from the Bible, and they're from the biggest, longest, most chapters book in the entire Bible. $100 Bible trivia. What book is that? You know every answer, don't you? You're here all day, right? She's like, I heard this all this morning. Yeah, it's the book of Psalms. There's over 100 Psalms, which are really songs. And, And many of you know this. There's songs of celebration. There's songs of lament. Of, of crying out to God, and there's what's called messianic psalms. They are psalms that are written about the future prediction or prophecy of the Messiah. This, this, this lyric comes from Psalm 118. Guess what that one is? It's a messianic psalm. They knew that these words applied to one day the Messiah will come, and these are the words that will be sung over him. So they're singing that what are they doing? Oh my gosh, they're, they're going back to Old Testament uh, theology and they're like, oh my gosh, we are, it's in our lifetime. It's right here. We're a part of this. So they're singing. And trust me, if you think you're watching the Messiah, God himself in flesh, come into your city to take over and put you in power instead of the Roman government, do you think you're just going to sort of sing this? No, man, you're plugging in the guitar, you're putting it on 11, and you're cranking this baby out as loud as possible. They're singing, blessed be the king. It actually, in the, in the Greek, it's Hosanna. Now, let me ask you, do you know what Hosanna means? Anybody? It's not a word we use. Hey, man, what's up? Hosanna. We don't use that. It, it's never said in our culture. But here's what it means. You can literally, again, you can search this if you want. It literally means hooray. Praise be to God. It's like, all right, hooray, hooray. Blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory to God in heaven. It's just like, oh my gosh, they're just shouting it out. Now, here's the thing. We don't say Hosanna, but we do this all the time. What do we do? When something exciting and wonderful and something really important to us happens and it's good, we go nuts. Now, we don't say Hosanna, but we like, we fist bump, we chest bump. Think about this. Last weekend when Michigan hit the three-pointer to win the game against all odds. I almost walked out of the room like, it's over. 3.9 seconds and I'm like... Four seconds is a lot of time. You never know. I'm literally standing with the remote in my hand ready to hit off. But i like, i got to see what happens. Boom! Right? And if you're a Michigan fan, you probably went nuts. You start running around your room. You start calling everybody. You ran into people and hit them like this. Like, this is awesome. If you, if you ever watch something like that on TV, the camera will go to the stands. And what's going on in the stands? 
People that don't even know each other, chest bumping. They're high-fiving. They're butt rubbing. I mean, it's just crazy. It's just like, they go nuts, you know? That's Hosanna. That's like, hooray, 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 our team won. Here's what it really is. You want to know what it is? That's worship. You think worship is a service or going to church, we're at a worship service. No, we're not. Worship is an expression or a response to something we consider really, really valuable. When a team, that your team scores a touchdown to win the game, people worship. And guess how they worship? Hands up, shouting, screaming. It happens everywhere that you appreciate something, right? So that's what they're doing. They're singing. Why did we dance? Why did we send people in the aisles? Because that's what was happening on that road. It wasn't a little, oh, the king is here. Isn't that nice? Oh, look, the king. They were screaming, yelling like, oh my gosh, we are, we, are, we are alive in this moment. This is unbelievable. Let's run around. Let's sing. Let's sing Psalm 118 because this is the Messiah. Now, it's really interesting is whenever there's ex- exuberant worship or praise or loud and sort of out of control praise or adoration for somebody or some event, usually there's somebody there that doesn't like that. You ever notice that? There's always critics there going, what are they doing? What are you so excited about? Isn't it interesting? Have you ever noticed that? It just seems like whenever that's happened, there were people going, what are they doing? I bet you there was a few here that that when we went running out into the aisleways and started dancing, you just went, what are you doing dancing right here? Get back up there on the stage. Now, I don't know who you were, but there might have been a few out there like, that's not proper. And yet, if we are celebrating like they celebrated, there was nothing that was proper. It was like, oh my gosh. And when people win Super Bowls, you see people go crazy because it is the most important thing in their life. Well, guess what? In this story, we have some critics as well. And you know what's really interesting? Often the critics who want to complain or make comments about people that are behaving improperly, often, even today, you know who they are? I hate to say this, but often they're the religious people. They're the church people who can open their Bible because they know every nuance of it and go, this is improper. It says right here that you shouldn't be behaving this way. It's interesting how that sort of works. And guess what? The critics in this story are the religious people. You probably know them as the Pharisees. They were the ultra-religious. They were the ones that prided themselves on knowing the word of God better than anybody else. Yet they missed the very word of God himself. And so guess who complains? Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. (laughs) And by the way, again, you got to put yourself in the story. Do you think they went, Hey, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Could you do that for us? No. They are angry and they yell this. They had to yell it. Why? Because it was so loud and people are dancing and waving palm branches and they've got their arms raised in the the air, which is not unusual when you're praising something. It happens all the time in stadiums and at concerts and it even happens at church sometimes. And sometimes people are like, why do they have their hands in the air? Well, uh, the same reason you do when Michigan hits a three-pointer. This is a show of wow, right? Well, so the Pharisees say, Jesus! rebuke your disciples. They're mad. And watch Jesus. This is unbelievable. By the way, it's your last sign, your, your last 
uh, clue. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, again, when you read the Bible, please do this. Go, what? What in the world does that mean? We so often just keep reading and we don't even stop and go, is there something here for me to understand? I mean, think about it. If you you were there, you'd have to go, what do you mean the stones will cry out? You know, stones don't cry out. What in the world are you talking about? Well, he's going to tell us. He says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you had known on this day, what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So what's going on? This one's loaded. And there's different opinions on this, but I tend to side with this opinion. Jesus is saying... You can tell them to be quiet, but the very creation we're standing on right now will one day reveal to you what is going on right now. Why are we stopping to look at this story? Because I don't want you and I to miss what's going on on Palm Sunday. It's all there. The donkey tells us, the singing, the palms, and now the rocks will cry out. Some of you know your history. Do you realize that 70 years after Jesus said this, exactly what he said would happen to the city happened? An emperor named Titus brought his army in. He was an enemy of the Jewish nation, and he destroyed Jerusalem, and he said, we're not just tearing down the city. We are killing and massacring everyone, women and children. No one lives. Kill them all. And destroy the very foundation of the city. Tear the stones to nothing. Go read your history books. That's what happened. And Jesus said, "That's they're going to cry out and tell you, you missed it. You missed it. This was God's day of visiting to come in and start something. And you missed it. And here's my question to you and me. Have you missed him? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you understand what this story means for you? Have you rolled out the red carpet and said, come into my life? Or have you said, hmm, I don't even think he was that guy. God is saying, trust me. You can believe whatever you believe, but the stones, the creation themselves will one day cry out. They already have and say, this is my son. I don't know about you, but I look at this story and I'm like, wow, there's so much in there that's sort of like hidden in an illusion, but it's all there right in front of us. And now I hope you look at the story and go, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable what God did. And trust me, it's just act one. I'm not kidding. Wait till you see Good Friday. And trust me, please, if you're in town, get here Friday. We have two options for you on Good Friday. Because if you come to Easter and miss Good Friday, it's like walking into the end of a movie and not understanding why or how they got there. And people start jumping up in the movie theater and clapping because something amazing happens. And you're like, what's this all about? That's what Easter's like without Good Friday. Good Friday, we're going to walk you through nine scenes of the cross. And it'll be dark and it'll feel like agony. But as you walk out, there's also a beauty to it because you know the end of the story. And then you come back and celebrate. It's going to be amazing. But here's, here's the only thing I want to do with this whole story. I just have one question for you. And it's really a question 
or a truth that I feel God gave me several years ago on Palm Sunday, and I think I've taught it every Palm Sunday since. So some of you should recognize this statement, but I just call it a main truth that comes out of the story is this. And, and I got it from this. It's like, how did these people go from Hosanna, hooray, you're the Messiah, to five days later, crucify him? And here's what hit me. We want the God we want, not the God who is. Think about that. We want the God we want, not the God who is. See, they wanted a king to come in and set up his government that week and to put them back in power, and he didn't. Jesus came in and gave his life away. He didn't even resist Pilate sending him to death. He did not resist being put on the cross. A man who is God, who could have with a snap of his fingers destroyed everybody and set up his kingdom, but he didn't. He came just like he said he would, humbly to give his life away. So he didn't do what they wanted him to do. And so they said, crucify him. We do the same thing. We want the God we want, not the God who is, right? We think, we give our lives to Jesus. Tell me you didn't do this. I did this. I give my life to Jesus. It's like, Jesus will make everything better, right? I, I gave my life to Jesus after my sophomore year in college, and my God at the time was football, and I was on a full scholarship, and our college football team had just won the conference, and I had just led the nation in passing percentage. I was, I was in glory. It was awesome. It couldn't have been better. I was number one in Division One football, the quarterback, led the nation in passing percentage. It was just a great year. So I'm all conference, all this stuff. I walk around campus. I'm the big man, and I'm totally empty. And it was the thing that led me to Jesus because I'm like, I thought this would bring me life and I realized it doesn't and I gave my life to Christ. It's a long story, but I did. And so then as I go into my junior year, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a preseason All-American pick. This is gonna be awesome. Now with Jesus and God in my life, only gonna be better. Well, between my sophomore season and my junior season, my head coach took a job at University of Wisconsin. He became the head coach of the Badgers. And he literally called me and said, transfer. I'm running the same offense in Wisconsin that you just set all these records in. You're my quarterback in the future. You'll have to sit out a year, but transfer. I literally went to Camp Randall Stadium, stood in the stadium with him, and I called him later and said, I'm not transferring because I don't want to sit out a year. Who does that? Everybody now, but back then nobody did. I mean, how stupid. I'd get a whole nother year of school paid for it. But anyway, I didn't do it. So I go back to Ball State. New coach comes in, and guess what he says? We're not throwing anymore. I'm a running coach. Hike, give the ball. Hike, give the ball. And then he sends in a pass. It's third and 18. I think everybody in the world knows we're going to pass. So I go from number one in the nation to nobody. Oh, and by the way, game eight or nine, tear the ACL. You can probably tell it still doesn't work right. Nothing in there anymore. It's all bone on bone, and I got to get a new knee someday. So I end up in the hospital for another surgery. I had two on this one. Now I'm going to have it on this one. And here's what I'm doing in the hospital. I literally laid in my hospital bed, looked at the ceiling and said, okay, where are you? Is this what you bring? My life was better before you. Football's done. Oh, and I didn't add this little part. I was in love with a girl I was gonna marry for four years we dated. I walked in on her with another guy in her dorm room. So that was gone. And I was laying in a hospital bed in a, in a, in a sense saying, crucify him, crucify him. I am not signing up for this. He was not the God I wanted. But here's the second part of this statement. I told you it's a two-parter. We want the God who, how do I say it? 
We want the God we want, not the God who is. But you ready? But the God who is, is the God we need. The God who is, is the God we need. That should go like, boom. That's like theology 501. You should be paying extra for that. <laughs> and you're gonna, the offering's coming, so you can do it. I'm kidding. But I mean, when I, when I felt like God gave me that, it's like, oh my gosh, what do we need? Somebody yell out, I've got like two minutes. What do we need? What do we really need from God? You tell me, what do you think? Love, I heard love, what else? Commitment? Security, salvation? Yeah, she knows the answer again. She's been here this morning. Yeah, the answer, and I think all those are true, but the bottom line, tell me if I'm wrong on this, is we all, including me, need forgiveness of our sins. Why? Because we're all sinners. And I know you do the same thing I do. It's like, yeah, I'm a sinner, but that person, (laughs) they're a lot worse than me. Trust me. We're all sinners. And if anybody's worse than anybody, you guys are a lot worse than me. But anyway, I'm kidding. We're all sinners and we need forgiveness. And what does God come and do after he gets off that donkey? He gives his life. He literally sheds his blood to forgive you or my sin. So as I wrap up this thing, I want to take the offering right now. Why? Because many people here are going to give back to God just like I do. And many of you do this online. Why? Because you're grateful to be forgiven. It's probably the greatest gift God's ever given you and me is absolute, complete forgiveness of all our sin. Do we deserve this? No. How did this happen? Jesus willingly, and we're going to look at this Good Friday, went to the cross to die for your sin. Why? Because it isn't you need a great football career or a great spouse. You need and I need to be forgiven. And he says, that's what I give you. So as you give right now, it's a, it's, a, it's a worship moment to say, God, I am giving back to you and saying thank you. And many of you do that online. And some of you are guests here tonight. You don't have to give. You start giving when you believe this is your home and your church. And some of you weren't here last week when we did the pledge cards for the Everyone campaign. And this is your moment. Just stick it in there or give it to an usher on the way out. If you want to be a part of that, fill out what your pledge is for this last year of Everyone and give it. But let me just say this. It actually didn't hit me till this afternoon. And I should have said this all morning, but you're the only, the only service that's actually going to hear this. We don't want the God, we, I don't know how I said it. What did I say? <laughs> we want the God we want, not the God who is, but the God who is is the God we need. And as I look back on my life, I think, what if God would have let me have those things I wanted? I'll tell you something. Honestly, I am not here today. If I had married that girl, I'm divorced almost could assure you I'm divorced. If I continue to play football, I was so good, there probably is no Tom Brady. It's probably me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What was that, Hartman? Huh? You don't believe that? Give me a football. I'll throw it right through that thing. (laughs) No, but think about that. I just, it hit me this afternoon. It's like, what I thought I wanted, God was so much wiser to say, That stuff doesn't really even matter. The thing you need is the only thing you can get, and I'm the only one that can give it, and it's your forgiven. Some of you need to walk out of here tonight knowing you're completely forgiven. 
and you can't do that, and I can't do that. Only the one who rode into that city and willingly gave his blood for your sin and my sin can offer you forgiveness so that you can walk out of here pure, clean, forgiven, a child of God, powerful, peaceful. You can walk into Easter week like maybe you never have in your whole life. So I haven't done this all day either, but I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation. Somebody here tonight, this is your moment. For the first time in your life, it's finally made sense, and you're like, man, I've always walked away from God because he doesn't give me what I want, but he shouldn't give me what I want. He should give me what I need, and I need him, and I need forgiveness. So pray with me. Father God, I pray for that one or that 10 or that 100 that right now are realizing, oh my gosh, I've gone through so many Palm Sundays and Good Fridays and Easter's and never understood who you are and why you did this. And today I understand you are Jesus, the name of all, above all names. You are the king and I want you to be the king of my heart. And so Jesus, I surrender right here, right now. Forgive me, wash me clean. Forgive me of all my sin. I know I don't deserve this, but you love me. And so you do this. And so Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I want to walk out of here tonight with you as the king of my heart and live a life that you've called me to live. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song called King of My Heart. It's a beautiful song because it's a song that says, I don't want him just to be a king coming into a city on a full or a, a, a cold. I want him to be the king of my heart. And I sing that out. He's the mountain I run to. He's the fountain I drink from because he's my life. And so I invite you. There's to, to be free. Stand up, sing. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. You don't want to raise your hands, don't raise your hands. Just sing back to God. The words of this song are awesome. So let's worship God like they did before we walk out of here. Let's sing.
Come on, every voice. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Sing it out, come on. Cause you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. No, you won't. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down.
And I know when he get when he when he got to Jerusalem, they were thinking he wasn't good and he wasn't the God they thought he was. But we know better, right? We know the end of the story. They didn't know the end of the story yet. I, we we would have done the same thing. But now we know, and, and we get to come back Friday and experience that and renew our faith. And then Saturday and Sunday, celebrate the fact that the end of the story is good, and and it's really good, and it's good for you. I mean, I'm looking at Tom over here, and was it Thursday night? Wednesday night, we went over to Debbie. She's my assistant for 28 years. Her husband Andy just had major heart surgery, and we literally went over and laid hands and prayed on him, and been getting texts all day. Our prayer team's all over it, and it was really worse than they thought. Basically, the doctor said, you could have had a massive heart attack if we hadn't have gotten you in. And I'm just looking at Tom thinking, man, he was there with me and Steve and their, 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 their sons as we prayed for Andy and Debbie. And God is good. God is good. Even in that, that hospital room right now where, you know, they're, they're, they're walking through sort of a valley. God is good. It doesn't mean everything always ends up good in our life but he is at the center of it and he is good. And if you need to walk up here before you leave and pray with somebody, our prayer team be right here. They're prayer warriors. They're awesome. There's somebody right now in that room praying for you and will be till Easter weekend, which is awesome. It's been going on for 40 days. So come on up and pray. And if not, we'll see you Friday. And if not, we'll see you Saturday or Sunday. If you're on a beach, pull up your little chair by that pool and watch the stream uh, Saturday or Sunday. God bless you. Have a great week. See you.